Chapter Six of An Exchange of Souls by Barry Payne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. Myas said in his long letter that the news of his engagement would probably give me a comfortable feeling of superiority, I having always known, of course, what would happen. With this would be mingled a certain regret that he had not allied himself more advantageously from the world's point of view, and both feelings, he assured me, would be quite out of place. The fact is, he wrote, that it had become necessary for the purposes of my work for Miss Lade and myself to be frequently together for long periods. Knox Street shook its respectable head, and Mrs. Lade did not like it. The proclamation of an engagement and the purchase of an absurdly valuable ring have changed all this. Knox Street smiles upon us and dreams confetti. Mrs. Lade is quite happy. Briefly, the engagement is simply the price we pay to Knox Street for permission to continue our work as before. So if you have any impression that you ever foresaw anything, you should correct it. It is quite probable that we shall never be married, but that depends to some extent on the result of my great experiment. Meanwhile, as I require the whole of Miss Lade's time, I have provided a domestic substitute to Mrs. Lade's considerable but rather tremulous satisfaction. For her, Knox Street is the voice of society and almost the voice of God. It is a street filled with people who have kept themselves respectable. Think of all the poignant meaning of that phrase. With insufficient means for the purpose, and with countless temptations to be otherwise, these good people are still respectable. Beside their hard-won respectability, your own, facile and cultured, is no more than sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Mrs. Lade is tremulous because she has advanced one step up the ladder. There is a definite line of demarcation here between the people who keep a girl and the people who do it all themselves. Mrs. Lade naturally fears lest she should be thought guilty of that quality which the Greeks called hubris and Fulham calls swelled head. She therefore sighs and explains to her friends that it was all on account of the lodger, and that she hopes it may be for the best. My work has gone on very rapidly, and the day is not far off now. I have little doubt that I shall be able to redeem a promise that I once made you. I wish you would come and see me tomorrow afternoon. It is too bad of you to have neglected me like this. The man was astounding. On looking into the matter, I found that I had made two appointments for the following afternoon. I had promised to go with the Hamiltons, who were in town for a few days, to the Queen's Hall, and I had also promised to play bridge with some other people. That made it all quite easy. I excused myself from the bridge party on the ground that I had forgotten about the Hamiltons, and from the Hamiltons on the ground that I had forgotten about the bridge party. These two appointments being safely and easily cancelled, I got into a taxicab and drove to Durnford Place. 
I let myself in with the latch-key that Myas had given me, and went up the strip of garden. As I passed the workroom, I heard within a chink of glass and a light footstep. I hesitated a moment, thinking that Myas might be there, but I remembered that, when he showed me the rest of his establishment, he had rather made a point of not showing me the workroom. So I went on up the iron staircase and tapped at the window. Myas himself let me in. "'Come to deliver your congratulations?' he asked, rather sardonically. "'No, I've come to ask you to explain yourself.' "'But, my dear fellow, what is there to explain? It all seems to me so simple and natural.' What do you mean by saying that it had become necessary for you and Miss Lade to be together for long periods? The thing is absolute nonsense. What possible use can she be to you in your work? She has certainly had no scientific education. She has probably had precious little education of any kind. At this moment the door opened and Miss Lade entered. She addressed herself to Myas, speaking eagerly and quickly. The variation is three seconds and two-fifths. As she spoke, she saw me. She greeted me cordially enough and shook hands, but instantly turned back again to Myas. Yes, said Myas. That's too much, isn't it? I thought, she said, of trying again with ether alone. "'Yes,' he said. "'You might certainly try that. Do. You'll be through with it by tea-time.' "'I expect so,' she said, and went out of the room again. I think I have never before in my life experienced more completely the sensation that I did not matter in the least. I felt like a small boy who remains quiet and orderly while his superior papa and mamma discuss questions of finance, or the morals of the parlor-maid, or anything else which is not for little boys, in indifferent French. "'Let's see,' said Myas. "'You were beginning to talk about education, weren't you? Sorry for the interruption. I've got views about education.' "'Oh, you've got views on everything under the sun.' The London season's telling on your nerves, Compton. You incline to be irritable. I do not think, speaking quite dispassionately, that Alice Lade is exactly what you would have expected from her parentage and position in life. Obviously she's not. I admit all that. It is true, as you say, that her education was of the very slightest. That was all the better from my point of view. I had no rubbish to clear away. Nothing on earth is quite so easy to understand as what is popularly called science. The only way that men have been able to make it all difficult is by inventing a very frantic terminology which they habitually mispronounce and by carefully suppressing all habits of simple and lucid speech. Education for the child means a march into the unknown. He is told that he has to do quadratic equations, but nobody ever dreams of telling him why. He has to know the name of the capital of Portugal, 
he has in extreme cases to know the names of the kings of israel and judah the patience of the child is remarkable he really does consent to lumber up his mind with all this nonsense merely because papa or the governess or the schoolmaster wishes him to do it it is a wonderful thing that any horse consents to draw any cart but it is still more wonderful that any child consents to acquire knowledge on the lines on which knowledge is now generally imparted when you start on a journey it is advisable to know where you're going and you do not journey with much purpose or enthusiasm if you do not know it one of the very first things i did with miss lade was to show her what i was aiming at and how she could help i see i said you told her that you were aiming at the determination of the ego and she understood all that at once naturally she would don't be an ass that was of course what i told her but equally of course those were not the words which i used i asked her what she was why she was here and what would happen when she died she told me that she was a girl that she was here to do her duty and that she would go to hell if she did not do it as soon as i began to show her how far from satisfactory these answers were she became interested these simple elemental things interest everybody even you we know of course very little about them at present and the prospect that she and i would be able to discover more naturally attracted alice but i am not taking all the credit for my way of teaching she is intelligent plastic receptive to a very unusual degree many things she seems to acquire unconsciously for instance her talk you noticed it yes i noticed it the london accent has been eliminated yes she now talks just as you do there you are wrong it is your own accent which she has copied there is the faintest possible foreign note in it which has come to you i suppose from the fact that you have been speaking french for so long how did you get her to acquire it i did not i have just told you that it was one of the things that she picked up unconsciously i have never corrected her speech in any way the fact of the case is that in some respects alice is singularly childlike if a child is given a nurse with a cockney accent the child will soon talk cockney if he has a french bonne he will soon talk french the influence of the person in authority with whom the child is on intimate terms always works and always unconsciously well now my friend suppose we look at this engagement from miss lade's point of view does she understand that the whole thing is merely a farce and that you have no intention of carrying it out but that is not the case you must have misunderstood something i said in my letter i have every intention of carrying it out if it is possible but the result of my experiment may make it impossible it all turns upon that i don't want to go into the question with you just now 
but I admit there is a very grave risk in the experiment. And yet she is to take part in it. Well, yes, why not? She wishes it. She is absolutely devoted to me, and for that reason alone she would do it, and by this time she is quite as keen about the work as I am. I own that I felt some reluctance at first. I was worried and depressed about it, as you remember. I still feel that I should be wrong if I put any kind of compulsion upon her, if, for instance, I told her that it was of supreme importance to me that she should take this risk. But I have not done that, and she is a free agent. What she is going to do, she has volunteered to do. And, mind, she runs no risk which I shall not share equally with her. That seems to me to make it all right. Don't you think so? Of course I don't. It's all wrong. It seems to me that what I ought to do is go downstairs and have ten minutes' talk with the poor victim's mother. You can have ten minutes' or ten hours' talk with Mrs. Lade, if you like. It would make no difference. She is not the dominant factor, and Alice is. Of course, the consideration which you are leaving out, in your own mind, is really the consideration which best justifies me. There is no advance without sacrifice, and in this case the advance is tremendous, and the sacrifice, if it is needed, is justified. However, the last thing I wish to do is to quarrel with you just now, more particularly as I want to ask a favor of you. I have just made my will. Don't, for goodness sake, say that you want me to be a trustee. I am a trustee for three people already. They all liked me once, but they all hate me now. And they're all convinced that if I were not a curious combination of knave and fool, I could get them seven per cent out of trust securities. Well, I do want you to be a trustee. I am leaving everything in trust for Miss Lade. I promise you that she will give you no trouble whatever. You will find her perfectly reasonable and docile." After some discussion I gave way and consented. And then Miss Lade came in again from the workroom. "'Well?' said Myas. She shook her head. "'No use at all. Worse than before.' and then she turned to talk to me. Certainly the change in her, in a very short time, was remarkable. She was self-possessed and only blushed once when I congratulated her on her engagement. It was easy to talk to her. Her voice was pleasant and musical, and I thought her perfectly charming. Myas came down the garden with me when I left. I said to him, do you mean to tell me that you're not in love with her? Undoubtedly I shall be if all goes well. At present there is too much to think about. I haven't the time for love. Why, I've never even kissed her. If I were you, I should go back now and do it. Believe me, it doesn't take long. It would be absolute ruin, said Myas. End of chapter 6